0: going on y'all welcome back to the cold seat podcast where the seats are cold and the takes are hot episode 61 coming at you guys today start off with the turn up the heat per usual we've got some uh both football related topics i've mean, got a college football related topic and brett's got an nfl related topic um i think brett's will have more discourse maybe i don't know um actually i'll let, actually i'm gonna let brett go first because ours might, we won't talk any college football at all today so i'll let um brett go first with the nfl one
1: Yeah, this is one that I've kind of thought about, Um, you know, it's about the MVP conversation and a lot of people obviously rightfully so talked about CJ Stroud uh, after he's put up back to back really good performances. But I think Russell Wilson as well. I mean, crazy game last night, uh, Monday Night Football against the Bills. I think Russ and CJ would be MVP front runners right now. um, If their teams had a better record, you know, both their teams are 500 or around 500 and it's not going to get you an MVP, Uh, you know feel like you have to at least be like a division winner to win MVP. So, um, you know, neither of them are going to win it, highly doubtful. But they're both putting up stats that are right up there with anyone else um, in terms of touchdown-interception ratio, which is big. Pass pass yards is good for both of them, um, but that's not as big of a stat in terms of MVP. Um, It's more, you know, how often you turn the ball over, how many touchdowns you have, stuff like that. So I think both those guys have had really under-the-radar seasons. CJ's getting... A little more attention now just being a top rookie, doing really well. Um he's been getting a lot of attention the past few weeks. But Russ has done really well. I know people kind of wrote them off after the dumpster fire last year. I think Sean Payton's done a good job with them so far. Um they've won close games, they have lost a few close ones as well, but pretty much they're doing how I expected. I thought their offense would be a little better than it is, but I mean, even though it isn't, Russ is doing a really good job. I mean, he's doing basically everything he can. Um, with what he has, and I, like I said, him and CJ have done had really, really good years. Yeah, CJ, CJ for sure. Um,
0: I think the thing that CJ will get knocked on is the lower number of touchdowns as compared to his peers, and then the completion percentage is considerably lower. That said, he's done, he only thrown two picks this year. Um, when you look at the leaderboard, I mean, there's a lot of guys who have thrown – I mean, shoot, Josh Allen's on the most picks in the league. Mahomes has thrown eight. Hertz has thrown eight, so um, it's not. It, listen, throwing throwing two picks is, is really impressive given the fact he started a bunch of games. Um, I know CJ is currently second in the league in yards, um, which is great. He's he's got 291 yards per game, which I mean we say it doesn't matter as much, but it, it's going to count for something, right? It's gonna be gonna matter. Um, although the yards leader right now is Sam Powell. granted he's only he's played ten games as opposed to CJ, Tua, Golf, Mahomes, Prescott. Herbert, hurts, all these guys have played, uh, have played nine. Um, they're kind of on the next, within like a hundred or so yards of those guys at the top. Um, but I mean, look at quarterback, I mean, I don't know if ESPN's QB rating is that much of a tell, or QBR is that much of a tell. Um, like the top five in QBR is Brock Purdy, Pat Mahomes, Dak Prescott, Josh Allen, Justin Herbert, and then it's Goff, hurts, Tua, Kirk. drives at ten. So however you want to look at QBR, you can. Um, I don't know if it's a great indicator. I think there's a lot of advanced metrics to use, especially with the quarterback position. But that said, I think you're 100% right. CJ has definitely been an MVP type of candidate so far this year. Um, They've thrown the ball a bunch, but I think at the same time, I don't think their losses have been 100% on him. Again, two picks is really, really good. Um, Only been sacked 19 times, which helps as well. Um, It's it's about middle of the pack um, for the NFL right now. So uh, Russ, I don't know if I agree with, just given the – given I don't know if you can be as bad as that team has looked at times and again he's 1800 yards isn't going to get it done um he's got a good touchdown numbers but ultimately he's throwing for 200 yards a game that's just not going to get an MVP done um I don't know what his numbers look like from a like an EPA per play standpoint I'm sure I could look on PFF um of course ESPN doesn't give you those numbers because why would ESPN give you a meaningful number but I think I'm, I'm with you on CJ though for sure um and he's gonna probably finish getting votes. I'm sure I bet he finishes. I mean, shoot. Right now the MVP is a crapshoot, dude. I mean, you've got I would throw CJ. I would throw despite the turnovers, Josh Allen, I would throw Joe Burrow and Justin Herbert are all on teams right now that have not won enough games to qualify their, for qualify them for an MVP, yet they're having MVP caliber seasons. Um all of those guys have also had a couple bat like a couple like a couple stretches of like two or th- two bad games two or three bad games. Burrow started the year bad. Herbert played not very well after he broke the finger. CJ's had a couple rookie games where it's just like man that's just that's a rookie performance. I think against Carolina it wasn't phenomenal. A um, couple games start the year maybe. Um, Allen obviously like last night's an example of that. So I think there's some of this again some of those guys are on teams that um, aren't going to be good enough to win an MVP and also are, have had a couple of performances that have been really bad, so, or I guess bad to the level of which of play which they had the whole year. So um, I'm curious to see who the MVP ends up being. If I had to pick right now, it's probably... I, I can't pick off these stats, obviously, but kind of conventional knowledge would tell me it's probably Lamar or Jalen, just kind of given how their teams have been, knowing how this award is handed out. Um, don't think it's going to go to Mahomes this year, just given the way that that team... I don't know how they played offensively, but just I just don't think they're gonna give it to Mahomes back to back. They don't really like to do that. I know they gave Rodgers back to back MVP, but it was like dude threw like fifth almost 50 touchdowns and no picks. Like they had to give it to him. So I think if we have a competitive race, they won't go to another candidate, back to back candidate, if that makes sense. But um, okay, great. CJ's been awesome this year. Um, definitely having an MVP caliber year. Just gonna kind of depend on how they, they finish the year, where how many votes he's gonna get. But uh, my hot take this week, Urban Meyer. Next head coach in Texas A&M in College Station. A um, couple reasons. Number one, Texas A&M took the big swing on a risky-ish candidate with Jimbo, and they. I would say, given I know they're six and four, but given the the amount of talent that they possess and that they have possessed the last few years, there has been nobody that has done less with more than Texas A&M in the last five years um you could argue texas or shoot even like mich i don't know what michigan lost five prior to the last couple of years michigan's up there as well miami as well florida but um texas looks really good i mean obviously they're a top seven team right now i think you look at the other teams don't really have the i mean texas and have had a an all-time great recruiting class and they're all juniors like it's done nothing for them so um even the guys kind of in the past, it's just not been very good. I like got all. So they're going to take the swing. There's no more desperate program in college football than them right now. I, I don't, I genuinely think that there is not a, de- a program in college football that is more desperate to get back to winning than Texas A&M is. Um, there have been some wild names thrown out for them. And I, we can get to that in a second. I'll let you give your thoughts before I get kind of to that portion of it. But I don't know why there are some writers that think they could land Dan Lanning out, like take him away from Oregon. Um, I think that's blasphemous, but whatever. Um, I think Oregon is a clear multiple steps ahead of what Texas A&M is right now. So that's an example of it. But um, yeah, I think Urban Meyer is the next coach. I, it's a, it would be, I don't think he's, I think he's, Two damage is of goods at this point, but um they've shown they're willing to spend the money to get a guy like that, and I think they're desperate enough to to deal to do do the deal with the devil I, genuinely I, there's not a more de they have shelled out so much money it's unbelievable, and I think they're I think they're gonna make the move and they're gonna hire urban that's just what i that's kind of the vibe I get from them right now,
1: yeah, I mean I wouldn't be shocked, definitely a move they would make, like you said. Um, but I don't know if they will. I mean, he's definitely a candidate for them, I would think, but I just, I don't know what they're looking for. Honestly, um, you assume they want a guy that's been proven has done it at the highest level and he's, he has, um, but like you said, with what he's been through since then, um, may lead them in another direction, but I don't know. I mean, I definitely wouldn't be shocked, um, you know, hot take a little bit, but I think, This is definitely an option for them uh, being, you know, one of the biggest programs that would probably do this. So um, that's our hot takes. Two pretty good ones. um, Football related. Moving on to MLB here. Uh, We got a little bit going on. So first of all, a couple managerial hires uh, by the Astros. Dusty Baker retired and the Astros promoted their bench coach, Joe Espado, as their new manager. And then the Brewers, uh, Craig Council left the Brewers for the division rival Cubs. And they also promoted their bench coach, Pat Murphy, to their manager. So a bunch of uh, couple guys that haven't previously been managers of an MLB team getting their shot here. So it'll be interesting to see how that goes for them. Obviously, both of them in pretty good uh, with pretty good rosters, being that both of them were are now a part of top five teams from last year. Um, so hopefully they do well. We'll see how it goes. Uh, but yeah, a couple more new guys added to uh, the manager role.
0: Yeah, not surprised by the Houston Astros move. I, I think that kind of when those who are in the know with the Astros when Dusty was going to retire seemed like Espada was a very looking at back at it now, kind of looking at when they hired him today and looking at some some tweets from folks afterwards, it sounded like he was a, a candidate from the jump. And then um similarly with with the Brewers, I think they could have gone looking, but I think they wanted to stick with an in-house hire. Um that's a lot of what happens in baseball. I think when you lose a manager Uh, guy retires stuff like that i think a lot of teams one when you have a guy retire you know what's coming typically and um there's a usually a candidate that's pretty um within house that you know you want to promote so uh brewers wise i'm not surprised they didn't do an outside hire um i didn't see the interview i don't think they got any interview kind of announcements but um promoting the bench coach i think is a solid move I couldn't sit here and tell you whether or not like, Oh, they, that made they made the right decision, but like, I'm sure it's a fine, a fine choice. Again, that's, that's oftentimes the route, um, that people at teams will go to is, is either it's either outside hire, or just promote a bench coach. And oftentimes, um, especially a small market team like Milwaukee goes to goes with the bench coach route. So, um, getting into free agency here, nothing's happened. All seven players extended a qualifying offer did not decline them, which again, not real surprising there. Um, so, yeah, there's that. I mean, nothing really, nothing really new. Um, I guess Shohei, I, I mean, Dodgers Twitter has kind of been talking about this for about a week now, but it was officially reported today by Jeff Passan that Shohei could be looking for like a shorter term higher AAV deal, meaning higher annual average value deal, um, basically because he wants to he probably looking at like a two to four year deal. Uh, with opt outs after after years, two, three and four individually, um, basically meaning he'd get a, a, an exceedingly ridiculously high annual salary for three to for two to four years, basically because he wants to prove he can come back and pitch again and then re and then capitalize again on his market value in two to three years, two to four years. My guess is he's going to sign a deal. Four years probably four years at 53 million a year, 55 million a year. So call it two, call it 210 to $230 million for that's fifth. That's, you know, a lot. Um, so call it, call it 210 to two twenty-two thirty that he gets for, for four years with an opt out. Definitely after year three and four, he may not have an opt out after year two. That's only going to be one year back pitching. So I can see him wanting to pitch for two years, prove he can do it for two years, and then hit the market and re kind of reestablish. We'll see. I don't know. Um, I think he's gonna he's gonna minim, at minimum play two years wherever he goes. Uh, my guess is three, based upon how he is. But I think that's what's gonna happen. He'll sign a super high annual average value deal. Again, maybe it's up to five years, opt outs from years three to five. Who knows? Um, but he's trying to capitalize on his earnings, which I, I makes sense. I, I would have loved. If the Dodgers are out to do a ten-year deal, but again, whatever. I think every team feels that like they have a they have a chance to sign him. It'd be great to get him for ten years, but um, you know, you get him when you can. So it sounds like that's what's going to happen. But other than that, there's really no, really no news on the free agent front.
1: Yeah, no. Um, we're hoping for something by now, but you know what? Eight days in, and we haven't gotten anything yet. Um, in addition, Not nobody super signed. surprising. Right. But wishful thinking, right? So. Yeah. Nobody signed their qualifying offers either, so all those guys that were extended the $23 million whatever, um, deals by their team that they played for last year. Um, nobody signed it, so they're all going to become unrestricted free agents and are now free to, well, they've already been free to, but, you know, sign with any other team. So that's it. I'm sure next week we will have something of substance in terms of guys signing somewhere. Uh, At least someone, maybe a few, hopefully. Um, But moving on here, MLB awards. So not all awards have been announced, but yesterday we had Rookie of the Year, and today we had Manager of the Year. Tomorrow we're going to have Cy Young, and then Thursday, to wrap it up, we will have MVPs. Um, So I can do AL and you can do NL, I guess. Um, The AL Rookie of the Year, it was Gunnar Henderson from the Orioles, uh, kind of an infielder, played shortstop, played third base. Was really good at the plate. Um, had pretty good speed as well. He was a unanimous winner. Uh, that felt like a pretty easy one. He led in a lot of stats. I think it would have been close had Josh Young not gotten hurt. But I mean, Gunner rightfully won it. And uh, there's a lot of good rookies across the league this year.
0: Yeah, uh, another unanimous one here. Corbin Carroll, the Diamondbacks. I, this is the I, I don't know if this is the first year we've ever had this, but I not I mean like I can remember. We've had unanimous two unanimous rookies of the year, um, two surefire future stars of this league. Um, Corbin Carroll is going to get MVP votes this year. He probably finishes top six five to you know probably he probably finishes at five in, in the rankings if I had to guess because um, I figure it goes Acuna, Betts, Freeman, Olson, uh, Carroll. So we'll see. Um, but it, Cor, I mean. It wasn't be close. It was it was an easy, it was an easy vote uh, for Corbin. He was awesome this year. Same with Gunner. Um again, super, super excited for that guy. He started the year slower um when he got up to the majors and really turned it on. So had a had a, a monster and a monster second half from him. Um so two future stars of this league and two guys with the great hair, if anyone doesn't know that. Those two guys have phenomenal mm. flow. Um but yeah, I, I was hit, I hit National National League Manager of the Year now. Um skip Schumacher, the Marlins won with eight first place votes out of 30. I don't I haven't looked at them. I know you saw them. I have not looked at how the votes were distributed, so I figure they're pretty tightly distributed among the pack. Um i can I can take a look while you while you hit uh Amer- American League if you want to though.
1: Yeah, I have the NL manager pulled up just because that was really close. Um so Schumacher won by 21 points. First place you get a few points, second you get two, and third you get one. So Schumacher had eight. Brian Snicker also had eight first place votes, and then Craig Council only had five, but Council had seven second place and five third place, whereas Snicker only had two for second and two for third, so um, Schumacher won, Council was in second, uh, it was a wide margin between one and two, and then just behind Council was Snicker in third, um, Lavolo in fourth, Dave Roberts in fifth, and then that was pretty much it, so um, fairly close outside of Schumacher winning, um, you know, the two to five was within 10 points. And then for the AL, um, it was Orioles manager, Brandon Hyde. I uh, received 27 of the 30 first place votes and Bruce Bochy got the other three first place votes. Um, I was under the pressure in the past couple of days that it was Bruce Bochy's award, um, just with things I was seeing and stuff like that. So Uh, I'm glad to see, obviously, that Brandon Hyde won it. Uh, Very deserving as well, I think. What he did this year, uh, not only this year, but, you know, last year. And going from 51 wins in 2021 to 83 last year, and now 101 this year. um, It's a really big deal with pretty much everybody homegrown. Everyone that made an impact was drafted by them. And it pays off now because now they have the 24th pick in the draft. And then because of these awards, they also have the 32nd and 33rd. So, um they can load up again load the farm up and hopefully bring in a couple of vets you know but what he's done um he's done a great job he's pushed a lot of the right buttons throughout the whole season and unfortunately it didn't result in much uh in the playoffs but still a really good season and uh looking for more progress to come
0: for sure i mean like i said it's um i thought when you told me it was gonna be both she was like man that, that just doesn't seem right Given the fact that they had a really bad end of the year, I know they on the World Series, but all this voting takes place before the end of the season, so we're kind of it's on that last day. So all the votes get cast before postseason even starts. So um, I'm glad that I'm glad that Hyde won it. It would have been, I think, um, disingenuous had votes You won it, as great listen as great as the season was. They wouldn't want a World Series. I'm not taking anything away from him. These are regular season awards, right? So it. it Based on that, it, it, I mean, Brandon Hyde should be the manager of the year for the entire league, like the entire Major League Baseball. So I'm um, glad he won it. Very deserving. Um, I think he was the guy that we both picked um, back when we made our picks. So Cy Young, is announced, Cy Young is announced tomorrow and then MVP Thursday. So a lot of awards kind of this whole week, which is cool. Um, I think those are pretty much locked up. The only thing that will be close voting wise might be National League MVP. I think Shohan unanimously wins AL MVP. Garrett Cole's gonna unanimous, unanimously win AL Cy Young. Snell probably won't unanimously win NL Cy Young, but he'll he'll run away with it. Acuna could very well run away with run away with the the National League MVP. I'm just curious to see what the votes land at. That's the only one that I could think might be close, right? Uh, so, um, but yeah. With that said, we're gonna do. We've got a little bit of a lighter day with everything else. So, um, NHL's has got an off week, so. We're gonna do some all MLB team predictions from uh, from the both of us. Um, let's do how are we gonna break this down. Let's break it down. Each of us will do it. We'll each do the infield, and then the other person do the outfield. Like we'll 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 go back and forth, yeah. and then we'll do pitchers and all that stuff. That way we're not like one in one, one in one. So, um, I'll run down mine. Um, catcher went Adley Rushman. First baseman went Freddie or Adley Rushman of the Orioles. First baseman went Freddie Freeman of the Dodgers. Second base, I went Luis Arias of the Marlins. Third base, I went Austin Riley of the Braves. And then shortstop, I went Corey Seager of the Rangers. Um, catcher was tough for me between Rutschman, William Contreras of the Brewers, and then Will Smith at the Dodgers. Ultimately, what separated it for me was the fact that Rutschman was the better defensive catcher per, like, caught stealing numbers and kind of some baseball savant numbers. Um a gold glove finalist as well. The other two were not. And then um total bases he led, he led the both of them by a lot. And just the overall impact he had on that team, um, getting them to, you know, 101 wins, um, really impressive. So that's kind of what put him over the edge for me from the other two. Freeman and Olsen were the two finalists. I thought what Freddie did from an average standpoint, strikeout standpoint, um, was really impressive. And you mean he hit 60 doubles? That's absurd. We've seen guys go for crazy RBI numbers and crazy home run numbers like um like Matt Olson did. We have not seen a guy hit 60 doubles in a long time. He almost hit 60, so that's really impressive. A rise. Power numbers weren't there. The average was ridiculous. Austin Riley was an easy choice at third base. Um, I told Brett, had I had I been able to choose corner infields, I was just going with Matt Olson and Freddie Freeman, because both those guys far surpassed what the third baseman did. But Austin Riley had a great year. And then Corey Seeger um would have been the AL MVP at Shohei, you know, not pitched at all this year. Um Corey was awesome. Obviously won the obviously won the World Series, but um world world Series MVP, but he was, I think, by far the best shortstop in baseball this year.
1: Yeah, I had the same five guys. My catcher, Adley Rutschman, um, like you said, Gold Glove finalist. He won the silver slugger and just all around huge impact on the team. Um, he had, you know, he played, he only missed eight games. Uh, he had the most hits and walks and K rate and stuff like that. We're all really, really good among catchers. Freddie Freeman, I was between him and Olsen. Um what else you I just want with Freddie? Because I think Olsen was a little, his stats were a little too home run centered. Um, Freddie, you know, had better uh, on-base percentage and average. And then Uriah's best average in the league. Um, he was really, really good for the Marlins this year. Austin O'Reilly, another uh, piece that just was super consistent all year. It uh, feels like, you know, nearly all their guys played every game and he's. a, He's guy they got to an extension before the year, I believe, and it's, it's panned out really well for him. And then Corey Seager, um, you know, he's probably going to be second in MVP voting behind Shohei. And I think he could get a few first place votes uh, just between just from Shohei missing time and then people wanting to just get him a few votes. Um, so I definitely think he could get a few votes and he's just been super solid. He'd probably be the postseason MVP across the board, um if not second in terms of consistency throughout the whole postseason where they play like almost twenty games in the postseason and he was really consistent, um super experienced in the postseason and um paid dividends for them as they won it all. And then outfield was pretty easy. Um I had a Cunha, Betts and Corbin Carroll. Uh Cunha obviously just had great numbers across the board, similar to Mookie Betts and then Corbin Carroll um I just put him in there because he had an incredible year. Another guy with a, mo- a monster impact on that team uh, with one of the lowest payrolls. He came in, homegrown guy, and uh, you know I think he was third in the league in steals. And he was just across the board a great bat at the top of the lineup uh, throughout the whole season. And then DH with Shohei Otani is pretty easy just in terms of guys that didn't. I mean, he played in the field, but very rarely. So this was a pretty easy one for me. Yeah,
0: I went with uh, Acuna, Betts, and Bellinger. Um, Acuna and Betts, I think, speak for themselves. The numbers that a literal historic year from Ronald Acuna Jr. was um, a, a absolutely absurd. Um, Mookie Betts was probably the best month in baseball this year in, in August. Um, that guy was – it's like everything he put the bat on the ball, it was it was going for a double. Um, or Sammy's just getting everything in play, getting on base. Yeah. Um, Obviously, the the Glove worked with Mookie Betts this year. Um, I don't know how he didn't win a Gold Glove. I'm a little bit appalled by that. Um, how he didn't win the Utility Glove, I don't know. He played Gold Glove defense at two positions. And it also, that flexibility allowed them, basically kept them alive for the entire second half of the year. Um, so, I, no disrespect to Hassan Camino, he's an awesome fielder, but I thought that him winning the Gold Glove over Mookie Betts was egregious to say the least um that said the guy was an, an incredible short I mean even with a short for like 10 games when Miguel Rojas got hurt I mean the guy was great there great at second base great in right field um like I said that kind of was, so kind of, those two guys kind of speak for themselves um and then I went with Cody Bellinger mainly because one it was a career vitalizing year for him the numbers are, are pretty eye, eye-popping when you actually go look at them um if I go pull them up I mean batted, oh my goodness. Thank you. Thank you, CBS Sports. Um if I can get my eye blocker to stop doing that. Um, well, I must not have to disable. So Cody Bellinger, 307 batting average. Um he hits if it will stop moving. Let's see. 26 homers, 97 RBIs, 20 stolen bases, uh, OPS of 881 slug the 525 just really 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 impressive year from him um obviously elite elite defense from him always um, i don't know if he won a gold glove this year i i don't know who won the centerfield glove for the for the the national league I, I don't know i don't remember but um nevertheless an outstanding year from from cody um and was really what kept that cubs team afloat to kind of in the second half of the year they had a lot of pitching issues a lot of guys get hurt uh, he was kind of the one constant for them. And um going to get himself paid this the top season for sure. But I went with him. Um, did you say your DH? Yeah. Okay. I went with Shohei Otani of the Angels, obviously. Um do want to give a shout-out to Jordan Alvarez, J.D. Martinez. Two guys had awesome years at the DH spot. But ultimately, when this guy exists, um, he's going to win the LMVP for the DH as long as he plays the qualified games. He's going to win it every single year. Um, pitchers, I went with um, – Garrett Cole the Yankees, Blake Snell the Padres, the two presumptive silent winners. My third pitcher went with Zach Gallen. It was tough. A um, bunch of guys were in the mix. Um, Justin Steele was a guy lesser known name in the mix that had a great year for the for the Cubs. Ultimately, went with we, we, Zach Gallen. Um, guy was really really steady all year. Really anchored that. That, that rotation, especially when they were having a tough time, kind of the middle of the year, out of the All Star break, didn't finish the year particularly strong. I thought he could have had a Cy Young case had he finished the year strong, but a couple couple not great starts to end the season. That said, thought he had a really really good year this year, um, kind of across the board. It wasn't like a um, couple guys who had like were dominant in one stat. He was really really steady across the board. I thought so. What was Zach gallon and then my two relievers, and with Evan Phillips of the Dodgers, Devin Williams of the Brewers. Uh, one, I wanted to pick two different names than Brett picked. I know relievers are so – they're all over the place. Um, there's a lot of really, really great relievers. I wanted to pick two different names. Steven talked about Evan Phillips of the Dodgers was the primary closer for them this year. A lot – really, it was the high-leverage reliever for them. Pitched a lot in the eighth inning, seventh inning, uh, also the ninth inning. Guy was unhittable for a lot of the time this year. Really, really good numbers. Um, awesome wipeout slider. A really, really good two-seamer. Um, so, Evan Phillips and Devin Williams. Um for those that follow Pitching Ninja on Twitter, you definitely know how Devin Williams is uh, reliever for the Brewers. Primarily, they're closer now. Um, came up as a reliever when Josh Hader was there, to go over the primary closing role when they moved Hader last year at the deadline. Mainly, they made the part of move, that partly moved him because he's a free agent this year, and you know they had Devin Williams, who's arguably better than him. Um, this guy throws maybe the sickest changeup in baseball. Uh, I believe, I believe, uh, I believe Pitching Ninja calls it the Airbender slider or Airbender changeup um, it's ridiculous. It's absurd. Um, the guy's arguably the best closer in baseball. I know that he never, I don't think he had the save numbers, but a couple other guys, but I think Classe led the league in saves this year. I don't remember. I think he had 44. That was the league lead, but, um, 36 saves guys. era was under two. Um, just, I mean, he's an absurd pitcher. Um, nasty stuff. So wanted to get him on there for sure. And, um, yeah, those are my, so my pitchers, like I said, Cole and snow were kind of the presumptive Scion guys. And then, um, wanted to pick some different names for the other three.
1: Yeah, I like it. I'll run down mine. So I still have Snell and Cole as well. Um, Cole was, I mean, he led the league in ERA, or excuse me, Snell led the league in ERA. Cole was just behind him. Um, two guys have played just super well. I mean, what you expect two vets that have done it at a high level, especially Garrett Cole for a while. And then Sonny Gray was my third, another guy. I think he was third in ERA, um, around a two eight. He kind of went vintage Sonny Gray this year. I know he was one of the top guys, you know, six seven years ago. But he he was really just locked down for the Twins this year. Uh, what helps that would help propel them to that division title and kind of separate themselves from the Guardians. And then my relief pitchers were Emmanuel Classe, who. Uh, was probably the best reliever last year, but he led the league in saves this year with 44 um, by five. He edged out Camilo Duvall of the Giants. And another guy was Felix Batista of the Orioles. Um, you know, obviously a little biased here, but I think Felix was 11 saves off or 10 saves off. And he missed the final like 30 something games of the year. As um, I, sh- I, both those guys just had really strong years. Unfortunate that Felix got hurt. Uh, a few guys yeah. on this list that, you know, had their season cut short, including Shohei. But, um, I mean, yeah, relief pitchers I thought were overall up from last year. And I mm-hmm. think starting pitching was down a little bit. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, Class a, the saves leader once again. Um, but, a, I mean, across the board, there were really a lot of good relievers. I thought about putting Devin Williams in. Uh, Alexis Diaz of the Reds was another really, Big name that kind of propelled them to a push that led to pretty much the final final week. Uh, Jordan Romano was another big name. So there are just a lot of good relievers this year. And then I'm not even mentioning Josh Hader, who's always been pretty solid. So, um, you know, those are all MLB team lists uh, as the season concluded about 10 days ago. Um, yeah, I mean, we're pretty similar across the board. I think the only spots we differed were an, uh, the third outfielder the third pitcher and then the relief pitchers. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, pretty similar overall. I think it was pretty clear cut at a lot of these spots who was number one, uh, like yeah. I and Corey Seager, um, you know, outfield with Acuna and bets was pretty chalk. And then Otani, of course. So, um, that'll pretty much wrap up baseball for today. Like I said, hopefully next week we have a few signings, if not more. Um, but moving on to golf here. Like you said, we'll like say real week. quick.
0: I an idea I I had for this, I told you before the pod. It would've been cool if we got to draft these against the like dueling draft these all MLB teams. It would've been fun. Right. I think I'm gonna I think we might bring that back. Maybe like when football season kinda ends and we've got not a lot to talk about for the cold. Like before baseball season starts, like in February, for like four training happens, not a lot going on in sports. Might have to bring out the MLB team draft, like where we draft like Draft two catchers, draft, you know, four out, you get, you get, you know, you get three outfielders, full infield utility guy, DH. Um, you probably, you can probably get, yeah, we'll give you four outfielders, a utility who you you presume plays a lot of the infield. Um, and then do like what five starters, a whole bunch of relievers. We're going to do this for sure. This is a fun idea that I, I've wanted to do before. Um, cause there's some really good players in baseball. So, um, like you said, a lot of the similarities here, but we're going to bring back this idea of drafting these teams. I think it'd be fun. Uh,
1: no doubt, I think it'd be a lot of fun just seeing, you know, how different the rosters look, obviously, and then kind of how they would match up. Um, but as for golf, um, you know, we only have a few weeks left in the 2023 PGA season. Uh, last weekend we had the Butterfield Bermuda championship. It's played at Port Royal Golf Course in Southampton Parish, Bermuda. So kind of that um, southwestern end of what's well, a really small island off the coast of Florida. Um, event had a purse of six and a half mil. Um, Seamus Power won it last season. This season, um, Camilo Viegas, the 41-year-old Colombian from the University of Florida, won it at 24 under. So older guy won it this week. He won it by two shots. Took home 1.17 mil um, with it being a smaller person, fortunately for him. Um, he chose the wrong event to win, but still a nice payout and a nice vacation there. Um, but this weekend coming up, we have the RSM Classic, a little bit of a bigger event with an $8.4 million purse. Uh, one of my favorite courses um, personally just that I want to visit is the Sea Island Resort, uh, the seaside course on St. Simons Island, Georgia. Um yeah, I mean, another lower lower purse across the board. Uh, we've seen a lot of these six to eight mil purse ranges. Adam Svensson won the event last season, and I know this season the field's looking a little better than it normally does for this event. Um, some bigger name guys in it, so it should be fun to see who comes out on top in that one. Um, Like I said, only a few events left. I know we have the hero world challenge and then, um, you know, I like the FedEx Q school for guys trying to get onto the tour in mid December. And then that'll pretty much wrap it up until the next season starts in late February, early March of 2024. But yeah, looking forward to just the golf scene as a whole, as the game keeps growing Uh, a lot more, keep a lot more guys join. A lot more guys are truly taking it seriously to kind of make a push to be on the PGA tour. So we're gonna see some higher competition, even though like we've seen a lot of guys not recently, but have defected to the live tour. I think just the game of golf as a whole is going to keep um upping its level of competition. That's always good for the sport.
0: Yeah, no doubt. Like you said, getting more guys in there. I mean shoot a guy like, like uh Ludwig from Texas Tech man I mean it's getting him in there is great. Um getting to watch him compete at the highest level has been really cool. Uh, kind of get to follow his journey kind of getting his getting his tour card getting onto the tour has been really cool so that's uh, she's an example of a, of what the game's going to keep growing obviously he's probably going to get on the tour regardless of the lift being a thing but just you know we get to see more guys like more people have golfers that they can individually follow because it's just more chance that someone's you know has some sort of a relation to a pro golfer whether it be yeah, he's, you know same university same hometown same state we, whatever it might be for somebody um and it's just more guys uh, in golf is more allegiances fans can have, which obviously grows the game. So, um, getting into NFL injuries, do you have the you have the list this week? You have the almighty uh, injury list. I on do. Twitter. I do have the
1: list. I'll I'll try to make it quick. Um, so it was a it was a better injury week than right. it has
0: been. Like it's been better this week. I think I don't know why, but I think guys have been less guys got hurt this week. At least that I remember. So,
1: right. Uh, Justin Jefferson, a grade two hamstring strain, should uh, might come back this week, might come back week 12. Jamar Chase will play this week with his back contusion, but um, you know, might not get as many touches. T Higgins is probably out this week as they play Thursday night uh, with his kind of hamstring strain. Uh, Justin Fields, throwing thumb, he probably returns this week or next. Devon Achan, uh, probably coming back this week and a little bit of a performance dip. Ramondre Stevenson, the Patriots running back with a back strain. Um, He should be back in week 12 after their bye. Puka Nakua, knee swelling, um, should be back week 11. Jalen Waddell um, should be good for week 11 as well. Deshaun Watson should be good. Um, A left high ankle injury, not a high ankle sprain, but just some limited mobility uh, this Sunday when they play. Kyler Murray is back. He played pretty Well, in week one, um, so good to see from him coming off the ACL. It's been 11 months since his last game, I believe. Uh, Nico Collins with a calf strain after you know a pretty good week for him, uh, probably out this week. TJ Hawkinson uh, is good to go. Traylon Burks concussion probably sits this week. Keenan Allen, a left AC sprain, um, he should be good for week 11. Josh Downs, um, knee injury, um, probably. Out a couple or one game with the bye week uh, they have this week coming back from Germany. Matthew Stafford uh, still, you know, his right UCL thumb uh, sprain. He should be back in week 11. Jalen Hurts should be good until or should be 100% in the next couple weeks. Derek Carr, um, unfortunate for him that he kind of had a more serious uh, AC joint re-injury, but he should be back fairly soon, not as long as people think. Alexander Madison with a concussion, probably out this week. James Conner is back from IR. Um, and he's a solid running back. He came back last week, Look for him to start this week. Um, Michael Thomas, MCL sprain, not great. Uh, should be back in a couple weeks. Zay Jones um, got arrested, but unrelated. He had a slight... <laughs> uh MCL in, re-injury that'll probably hold can, him out can, a couple weeks anyway can, so can we t- can we
0: talk about the phrasing Zay Jones got arrested but unrelated has an injury that is that is gold brother that is so good
1: yeah I see Zay Jones and I'm like oh that guy got arrested while he was injured you got an MCL re-injury and you get arrested what within a couple days of each other uh not ideal for him but um ideal for the bears. Khalil Herbert comes back this week. Uh, probably won't be hundred percent, but still good enough to play. Um, Dallas Goddard, Pat Frymuth, Darren Waller, Dawson Knox, all guys that should be back in a couple of weeks, which is always good. Um, Damian Pierce, no main details on the ankle injury, um, should be good in week 12. Tyra Taylor probably comes back in a couple weeks. Josh Allen, um, Probably won't be 100% for a couple weeks from his right shoulder re-injury. Aaron Rodgers, um, his bold prediction was coming back week 15. Uh, We'll see how that goes. Aaron turned up the heat this week with that. Right. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how that will go. But um, something to look out for, obviously, since he injured it on opening weekend. And then Ronnie Stanley uh, re-aggravated his knee and ankle. So interesting scenario there. But he should be back in a month or so. So that's pretty much it. In terms of the main guys, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of these are just updates on guys. No one really – no big-name guys really got tweaked. I know for the Ravens at least, Ronnie and Marlon, two big-name guys that did get beat up this week, but, however, should be back in a couple weeks at the worst. So, um, yeah, I mean, across the board, it was a good bit better this week than what we've seen over the past few weeks, which is always good to hear.
0: My sources are correct. Um, Keenan Allen will be back next week. No problem. sounds like he's got a stinger on the on the shoulder. a little bit concerned when it happened, knowing he's, again, it's been a bad shoulder for him um in the past, but nonetheless, like I said, like I said, should be back for him. should be good to go um, Jalen hurts again, another guy who should be fine I, again not not really thinking much of that hundred percent or not, he should be good to go. Um. Yeah, like you said, not a lot of not a lot of injuries this week, which is really really nice. I know it's been. I spent the first. I spent the morning window watching all of the games at, at the Lafayette Airport. So I was watching all the games. Had a Red Zone on. A lot of not a lot of major injuries this week, which is like I said, is good. Getting some guys back from injury pretty soon. Obviously, Justin Jefferson is the biggest name, probably coming back in the next week or so. Um, and Aaron Rodgers, obviously. He did his own turn up the heat this week, saying he's going to play in December, which is wild. I mean, he he. There was a clip after the Monday night game against the Chargers where Derwin James is like, "When are you going to get back?" He's like, "Give me give me a couple of weeks." And people were like, "Oh my God, he's going to play by November, late November." And he's like, "Hey guys, let me walk that back. Like it's just we're just talking, right? Like I'm not being literal." But he said he said December, so we'll see. I think that's a little lofty, but if anyone can do it, it's that guy, I suppose. Um, that kind of wraps it up with our. Our, uh, our NFL injuries update this week, like, like I said, the good. It was good thing it was not that long, as it has been in the past couple of weeks. Um, getting into our NBA stats update first of the year. We got some columns on our uh, on our our sheet here. Um, I can take the top two, you get the middle two, and I can get the one on the left if you want.
1: Yeah, whatever. Okay, cool. I mean, cool. Got an um, even number.
0: Yeah. Points per game. Uh, I'll start in. Uh, I'll go from go ascending order from five to one. Nicole Jokic of the Denver Nuggets. I think everyone knows who that guy is. Twenty nine point eight points per game for the, the two time reigning MVP. Uh, Kevin Durant of the Phoenix Suns. 30.0 points per game. Steph Curry. Golden State Warriors. I'm not I don't know why I'm saying his team. We know who Steph Curry plays for. Uh, Thirty thirty point seven points per game. Joel Embiid. points per game, and then Luka Doncic holding court at the top by 0.2 points at 32.6 points per game, just ahead of Joel Embiid. Um, No shock here. This is if you told me this is what the list would be to start the end of the year, I would say cosign. Cool, looks good to me. Um, Obviously Kevin Durant, maybe the most maybe the most prolific scorer in the NBA's history. Um, Obviously Jokic and Embiid up here too, dominant big men. Steph Curry, hot take, greatest point guard of all time. I don't know if that's crazy.
1: Yeah, maybe.
0: No, that's crazy. I mean, Magic played better defense, but like Magic was also six nine against dudes who were six feet tall. So yeah, polymers. I don't know. Maybe that's a hot take. Um, and then obviously luka has been, um, again one of the most prolific scorers since he came into the NBA. So no surprise here. Expect this to
1: be, um, pretty standard as we go out the rest of the year. Yeah, no doubt. Um, rebounds per game. So at five, we have Anthony Davis at 12 for DeAndre Ayton, who is now on the Blazers at 12.2. DeMontis Sabonis, who is still on the Kings, a pretty good year last year for them. He's at 12.4. Rudy Gobert on the Timberwolves at 12.8, and then Jokic is at the top with 13.7. So fifth in points and first in rebounds, uh, pretty nice formula. We're going to have, just so we're clear,
0: Jokic is averaging 30 a game. Almost 14 boards, and he is in the top five in assists per game. Can we appreciate the fact we might be witnessing one of the greatest big men of all time? I mean, genuinely, like, this guy is ridiculous. Yeah. He's a true five. 30 a game, like that's great. Like that's not. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not like turning my nose up to that. But like we've seen fives do that in the past, right? Like we've seen guys do that in the past. 13, 14 boards a game. Like he may not keep that pace, but like. It's not absurd either. Like, we've seen guys average double-doubles like that. Like, the greats, right? Like, you know, Shaq, Hakeem, Bill Russell, guys of that nature. Brother, I'm not going to spoil it, but, like, north of eight assists a game, that's absurd. I mean, he, he could average a triple-double as a center. Yeah. And he's the best player in, on the planet. Like, that's, that's ridiculous. So, I just – we are witnessing – true greatness in a sense that like we may never see this kind of player ever again. Like, yeah, Wemby's an absurd build, but like, he's not a five. He's not a true center. It's just crazy. Um, blocks per game. Uh, number, number, uh, what is it, number five here? Rudy Gobert, who's now in the Minnesota Timberwolves, 2.2 blocks a game. Chet Holmgren. Is he eligible for the rookie of the year? He yeah. is right. Chet Holmgren, uh, the Thunder, 2.3 blocks a game. Wemby, Victor Romanyama of the San Antonio Spurs at two point four blocks a game. Daniel Gafford, veteran center of the Washington Wizards at two point five blocks a game. Anthony, the China Doll Davis. Hate to say that, but it's true. He's already missed a couple games, dude. It's ridiculous. <laughs> uh, the Lakers at <laughs> three blocks. A game. Granted, he had a great game in the night against the uh against the Suns. He had like thirty I think he had like thirty four double double. Um he had a great game, don't get me wrong, but like Dude's already missing time. Like, what
1: are, what are we doing, boss? Um, but yeah, no, yeah, he's had, He's had great stats, but I've seen you see some things on Twitter, and Anthony Davis like Twitter material is always pretty good. He's uh, great with man. the injuries people make up that, that he misses time for. Um, you know, some kinds of contusions that probably aren't PG for the pod, but. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean. Sure. It's about what we expected. Um, yeah, Neil Gobert has won some DPOYs. Davis has always been up there at the top in blocks. And then a couple young guys in the middle, about what we expected, uh, being taller than seven feet. Steals per game. Um, in fifth, former DPOY Marcus Smart, who is now on the Grizzlies, is 2.1. Jalen Suggs, second-year guy from Gonzaga on the Magic at 2.1 as well. Another guy at 2.1 is Donovan Mitchell of the Cavs. At 2.1. And then. Another guy at 2.1. Is Shy Gilgis Alexander. Of the Thunder. So a four-way tie for second. And then at 2.3. Just ahead is Paul George. Of the Clippers at 2.3. Like I said. So. Um, still really early in the season. I mean all these numbers are probably going to switch a good bit. And I mean. If Shy has four steals. And Paul doesn't have any. Then Shy takes over. So. I mean. A lot of these can flip. Just within a couple games. Um, but yeah. About two to 2.5, probably 2.5 is what you'll see kind of at the end of the year in terms of league leaders and steals. And yeah, this is, um,
0: I mean, not super shocking. These are all name Like I expect to see like shy up here. I expect to see Marcus smart. Um, cause like, Jalen Suggs has been really good at the point for, for Orlando the past couple best years. So he's had a good little really bit. If I can speak, has been a really good defender for them. Um, so, yeah, this is a pretty, it's always going to be guards here. Always. Um, Paul George, I, not a traditional guard, but guards the two a lot for, this, for the Clippers. Um, always been a really good two-way player, even since we, when he was with the Pacers way back when, um, when he still wore 24. Um, so, yeah, it's not not a, not a lot of shocks there. I expect to see some of these names kind of throughout the year. Assists per game. Number four, sorry, number five, Nicole Jokic tied with LaMelo Ball. I guess tied for four. With Lamelo Ball uh, at 8.3 assists per game, 30, 14, and 8. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. Um, I I I just I want to make sure I emphasize it. How rare and one of a kind this is. Um, the guy is the guy's unreal. And um, his his game appears to be like ageless and timeless. Like I I, don't, I think he could play this way for ten more years. How old is Jokic? Like 28, 29? Something like that. How old is Nikola Jokic? Google will tell me right now. 28. So could play this way until he's 38 years old, dude. He He's ageless. So mm-hmm. the guy's absurd. Um, Coming to number three, Luka Doncic of the Dallas Mavericks. Eight and a half assists a game. um, 32 and eight and a half is pretty, pretty good numbers for Luka. I believe he was. Was he my preseason MVP pick? Uh, I think so. He might have been. Come back to that in a minute. Um, Trey Young at number two, 10.2 steals a game, and Tyrese Halliburton, young star with the Pacers, with 12.2 assists per game, with a pretty large, pretty large lead on my uh, on the assists per game. He was my preseason MVP pick. Thank you for clarifying for me. Um, yeah, good start for him. Um, but yeah, Halliburton been a been a guy that's kind of been on the rise the last year and a half year or two um really good numbers for him with 12.2 assists per game so looking for this looking for this list to be pretty standard the rest of the year trey young i can see maybe falling out of it if, if if you've got to take over as a scoring role a little heavier um could maybe see Lamel uh probably not Lame- yeah this list is pretty solid couple cb probably could see a couple of guys kind of jump in and out but um i think this list likely stays the same for a while or roughly the same for a while
1: Right, yeah, I mean, these guys are no strangers to this list, and I think, you know, Luca's, Luca, and Trey have obviously been great passers of the ball, Jokic as well, and then Lamello's kind of always been underrated, and that's the passing's kind of been his game, especially uh, with the Hornets. So, um, field goal percentage will be our final stat that we have for y'all on the episode. Uh, so, Jalen Duran's in fifth with 62.2%. So, I mean, you're going to see big guys on here because – You know, they're taking a lot shorter shots. So um, all these guys have pretty good percentages. Um, Morris Wagner of the Magic at 64.7. Jakob Pertl of the Raptors at 66.7. Jalen Smith of the Pacers at 69.8. And then Mark Williams of the Hornets, um, 72.6. Second-year guy out of Duke, um, leading the league in field percentage through, what, 10, 12 games. Um pretty solid for him, obviously. I think we're, we're gonna see that number dip. I don't know if we see anyone finish above seventy percent. But uh still solid numbers across the board. I mean, like you said, obviously with Jokic being what having 30, 14, and eight. Um, it isn't even I mean, it isn't even those numbers that are what's crazy. I mean, we've seen guys average triple doubles for a whole year. It's the fact that he's built the way he is, um, is you know, not very athletic, you would think, and still putting up these numbers. Um, you know, crazy for him. But I mean, like you said, a lot of these numbers are going to change very frequently, especially early. But I think that in terms of the guys that are on it, we're probably going to see these guys on it for most of, if not the whole season. So, um, it's pretty much it in terms of material. Of course, closing it out with the ice bath. But for the NHL, in case you were wondering, we do have an off week. So for hockey and basketball, we're going to follow a three week rotation of where we have an off week. A standings update and then a stats update and then an off week standing stats. So next week will be off for the NBA and we'll have a standings update for NHL. Um, but closing it out with the ice bath. I'll get mine going real quick. Uh, pretty straightforward. Um just couldn't really think of anything. So excited for the immaculate Thanksgiving vibes of good food and football. Um, you know, the football no. may not always be good as we have to see the Lions yeah. and Cowboys play every year on uh, on Thanksgiving. But hey, I mean both those teams you know, Cowboys about what we expected, but the Lions have been, you know, really solid this year. And uh, yeah, I mean, we have three games. We had the first ever Black Friday NFL game this year as well. So a lot of good uh, football Thanksgiving week, um, probably better than usual, just in terms of the teams that are playing are better. Um, And just the fact that we have another game on a Friday, that's always nice. And then before we know it, we're going to have those Saturday uh, NFL games that we normally get once, you know, college football starts to get into the Commerce Championships and stuff like that. So lots to look forward to. And then I'm always excited for, you know, when a bunch of foods in front of me. Uh, I know I'm a picky eater and that's well documented on, not only on this podcast, but amongst others. Um, <laughs> you know, there's plenty of food to be had even for picky eaters. Um, you can push the what collard greens and cranberry sauce aside and you still have turkey and pecan pie and pumpkin pie and stuffing and sweet potato casserole, mac and cheese, whatever you want, potatoes. So, um, you know, it's a lot of fun. Always normally hanging with family as well, uh, which makes it nice, but really looking forward to it. Uh, we haven't figured out our schedule for next week with us, um, you know, kind of going home and having a week with our family. So we got to figure that out, but uh, we'll have at least one episode next week for y'all, uh, which I'm excited overall for the whole week and, holidays
0: and stuff like that. Yeah, me too. I, I Thanksgiving's a great time. Um always enjoy getting to go home. Usually I go uh go home, spend the weekend after Thanksgiving hunting. So spend some time at the ranch will be really fun. Um this is this wasn't my ice bath, but I just like I had this like stats page up for the NFL. I don't know why I was I was looking at what we we're talking about the MV, NFL mvps earlier um so i was just like kind of tinkering with it just now looking at like receiving numbers so rashad white running back of the tampa bay buccaneers is third in the nfl in yak yardage yards after catch at 300 367 uh, yak yards which i thought man that's really impressive like how many receiving yards does he have 326 he has what's that 41 more yak yards than he does receiving yards. Math ain't mathing. Not sure I know works. how they can get to that number, but the math don't math. Um thought I'd point that out. Um, my original ice bath was that we've got our last home game at the Jones this weekend at ATT t Jones Stadium as, as students. Um, bittersweet for sure. Um, but appreciative of the moments we've gotten to have at the Jones um, comes to mind. The first thing that comes to mind is storming the field our sophomore year after Jonathan Garbe walked off Iowa State with a 63, 61 or 63-yard field goal to clinch a bowl game for the first time in felt like a while at Texas Tech um, under interim head coach Sonny Cumbie. Um, and then the following year, last year, we got to um, got to be there when they beat at the time, I think top, I think they were eight to ten ranked Texas. Um, in overtime, that was really really cool. An overtime game against Houston last year was really cool as well. Beginning to storm the field after they beat Texas in overtime was really really awesome. Um, and then hopefully, like I said, hopefully tomorrow is a good experience. Hopefully they can clinch a bowl game tomorrow. Um, this bunch has been resilient this year. Um, obviously, I think when you look back, you look at they could have won the Oregon game, could have won the, the Wyoming game, and a couple, a couple balls bounce a different way for them, and they could be, you know, one or two loss right now. So um, disappointing, nonetheless. But like I said, um, grateful for the fact that we've gotten to have some really, really cool moments and really cool memories at the Jones, despite how, on a national level, how underwhelming the program has been since we've been here. I mean, I don't know if it's underwhelming; it's kind of as expected, but just not good. Um, so, despite that, we've got to make some really cool memories there. So. I'm um, excited about that. Hopefully, tomorrow is another one of them. Hopefully, we get to watch them, watch them, um, like I say, clinch a bowl and, and be a solid, scrappy UCF team.
1: Yeah, I know. UCF coming off a big, dominant win over a 15th ranked Oklahoma State in Orlando last weekend. But yeah, um, last game as a student, like you said, um, unfortunate, but, you know, all good things come to an end at some point. And I think over the probably 20 games that I've, been able to make it to i know from our first one we went to together um against ut where we were up 15 with mm-hmm. two and a half minutes left um and we happened Ow. to blow it and i got tragic very burned um brett brett went home
0: like tomato red back to the dorm
1: yeah that, we that ha- was like
0: i remember we got back from the game and we were like i was like brett like we need to go buy you some aloe like we got in the like we got to the dorm got in the car and drove and like watch football in the car to the to the grocery store and came back and finished watching the football that night.
1: Yeah, That Good was times, One of the one of the uh, top games. I don't know how we lost that, but that was before we played defense. Um, and then sophomore year or and freshman year, um, Garibay we beat Baylor on a walk off field goal. Yeah, um, true. Yeah, I mean back when both teams weren't that great, but Baylor was just coming off their you know big seasons. They ended up um winning the Commerce Championship that year, so. That was big. Um, Sophomore year, like you said, the long field goal to beat Iowa State and clinch bowl eligibility after all that had gone down that season. Sonny Cumbie was a great coach, honestly, for us just in a short time before he got the job at Louisiana Tech. Junior year, um, yeah, beating UT was huge. Honestly played pretty well at home. Um, Junior year, I think, you know, everyone with the new culture and stuff like that. Right. TCU was ugly. Um, Baylor was ugly last year God. um yeah so yeah i think overall um junior year was pretty solid and then this year we haven't had that big home win that we normally do um i feel like tcu was probably the biggest and i mean i didn't think that was a huge win tcu isn't that great we were favored um but still looking for them to close out the win close out with a win at home and clinch poll eligibility this upcoming saturday um but yeah like you said i mean a couple plays go the other way. Maybe we're sitting at eight and three right now. So, uh, or eight and two, I don't know. Um, I mean, we barely lose to West Virginia. We lose to BYU with our third stringer and Wyoming and Oregon, like you said, I mean, those are four games that really could have been won If a few things went the other way and you're looking at one loss now, granted, not all of those games are going to flip, but even if two games did you're seven and three, you're in a really good spot. You're on the fringe of being ranked probably if you win this week. So, um, yeah, I mean, a lot of missed opportunities this year, and I don't think many people expected Tech to have a 5-5 five and five record. Unfortunately, they do, um, but they can still do something about it. They can still clinch a bowl game. And, yeah, it's been a lot of fun over these four years, um, you know, going to games. Not only football, we still have a full basketball season ahead of us and of course baseball baseball season to round out baseball to to round out the senior year, but, uh, should be fun. I'm looking forward to it. Um, but yeah, I mean, definitely gonna have to come back in the future years, uh, no longer here to come to a a game or two every year. Um, a lot of fun, especially with all the improvements that they're making, not only uh, to the stadium, just, but just within the program, recruiting class, stuff like that. So it's going to be a lot of fun to see their progression. Um, but, yeah, definitely a bummer that it's going to come to an end this Saturday uh, with the final game that hopefully clinches bull eligibility. But um, that'll pretty much wrap up Episode 61 for us. Um, appreciate you all tuning in today. Like I said, we'll have at least one episode next week. Not sure of the schedule yet. But before then, we will have Thursday Turf Talk Episode 13 um, in a couple days where we break down week 11 of the nfl and week 12 of college football with some good ranked matchups so appreciate y'all tuning in uh follow us on x and instagram at cold seat podcast and we'll see you in a couple days see y'all then